Good evening again, everyone, and welcome. My prayer for all of us here tonight is that we would depart to our own country or to our home by another way. It's the very last thing said of the wise men in the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll read of them here in just a moment. If you want to look there, you can look on page 13. They're literally called the magi in the original Greek, and it's a word that we get our English word magic or even magician from. They're very interesting people, some sort of ancient combination of astronomer and astrologer. So not simply observing and mapping the stars, but also deriving messages from them. And they were also rich as evidenced by the gifts that they give Jesus and also very powerful as evidenced by the access that they had to King Herod and also quite pagan, knowing nothing of the biblical religion until they heard the word of God read and explained in Jerusalem and then saw the word of God in the flesh in Bethlehem. And I wonder how many of us tonight here are like the Magi? How many of us are the strong of the world, the educated, the credentialed, the powerful, the successful, and the rich? I recently had a conversation that I've had so many times before, so many times, in fact, that I can almost script it out as it's taking place. And I've been very tempted to do that in these conversations, to say something like, let me stop you right there and let me tell you how this conversation is going to go. You're about to ask me what I do for a living, and I'm going to tell you that I'm a pastor, and then you're going to apologize for that cuss word that you said a few moments ago, (laughs) and then I'm going to tell you that I'm not the profanity police, and I really don't care if you cuss or not, and then you're going to do one of two things. Either you're going to begin confessing all of your most personal and private and currently pressing sins to me here in the midst of this party, or secondly, you're going to dismiss Christianity entirely. And you'll do it in a cordial way. You'll say something like, I went to church as a child, but then I went off to college and I just stopped going. And as an adult, I've just never felt or seen the need for religion. And you'll say also, well, I'm already a good person. I'm already quite happy. And that's really the goal of religion, right? Is to be happy and to be good. And that's how the conversation always goes. That's how it went most recently. And then I left that conversation as quickly as I could. I left it. And then I said, and I thought to myself, we're not communicating the message of Christ to the strong in ways that they understand or the ways that truly engage them and the particular needs that they have. But the magi here in this text, they are the strong of the world and they come to Jesus. And so why did they come? And what did Jesus, even as a child, have to offer these men who already possessed all that the world had to offer? What did he particularly have to offer them? And therefore, even us this evening. So three three things quickly. One, first of all, gratitude. William Willimon, who's a, a theologian, he was the chaplain at Duke Divinity School for a number of years and a professor there. He writes that a theology that speaks to the strong will emphasize gratitude as the foundation of our response to God. So think with me for a second. What is a charismatic person? Well, someone who others are drawn to and are attracted to, people who get attention. That's certainly the magi here. They get everyone's attention. They show up in Jerusalem. It sends the entire city into a tizzy, and King Herod even pays them all sorts of attention. But that's not what a charismatic person is, not literally. Charisma is the Greek word for gift. And so a charismatic person is first and foremost a gifted person. And to say that is to affirm and to acknowledge that 
our strengths and all of what makes us attractive to other people. It's not first and foremost from us, but from God, who is the source of all goodness and all beauty and all strength. And so if you are among the strong tonight, if you are among the gifted, then be honest. Be honest with yourself about who you are and how you have got to where you've gotten to. Call it an accident of birth. Call it a superior advantage. Call it a fortuitous circumstance, but call it, be sure to call it a gift. This is what the Magi do. And we know this because they give gifts. They give gifts of thanks and gifts of acknowledgement that all that they've enjoyed and all that they've had and benefited from in this life is ultimately from him. Somehow, mysteriously, this child. Because friends, gratitude is especially the prerogative of the gifted and the strong. And if you are among the strong and you're not here tonight to express gratitude, you're not being honest. You're not being honest with yourself about your life and why you are who you are and why you have all that you have. So that's the first thing that Jesus offers you. Second thing that he and his incarnation offers these men and us, even these men who had all that the world could offer is joy. There on page 13, you'll notice in verse 10 that even before they see Jesus, while they're still on this path to see him face to face, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And I wonder if you know that. If you know that type of joy, that type of joy that's described with all these superlatives, regardless of who you are and regardless if you're weak or strong, regardless if you're attractive and influential or small and weak in the eyes of the world, do you know what it is to rejoice exceedingly with great joy? Because it's not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. It's predicated on everything that's happening to you around you in the external world. But joy is eternal. It's deep. It's like a a subterranean river or reservoir that the roots of your soul sink deeply into. So regardless of what's happening on the surface all around you externally, in your life internally, there is something that can't be extinguished. There is this joy that nothing can touch, this delight. G.K. Chesterton was this famous English writer and philosopher and Christian apologist from the 20th century. He wrote a poem about tonight. It's called The Nativity. And he spoke about the joy and the wonder that the incarnation offers. And this is what he said. He said, though the darkness be noisy with systems, dark fancies that fret and disprove, still the plumes stir around us, above us, the wings of the shadow of love. Still the fountains of life are unbroken, their splendor unshorn. The secret, the symbol, the promise, a child is born. And what he is saying is that because God has taken on flesh and come to us and been among us as us, that there can be, and Christians know this dramatic, holy disconnect between the darkness that's noisy with systems all around us and the fountain of life and of joy that is within us. So again, do you know it? And don't think, don't don't think and dismiss all of this in some sort of cavalier way saying, I don't, I don't, I don't need all of this Christianity. I don't, I don't need what this offers, this idea, this, this truth, this, this message that there is a rescue from God, that God has come into the world to rescue us from sin, death, and darkness. I don't need it because I'm happy, because I'm, I'm contented, I'm well-fed, I'm in a decent, I'm a reasonably decent person, because that's what all this religion is all about ultimately. No, it's not. Do not make that fatal mistake. It is not. 
not about erroneous notions of self-fulfillment or self-gratification or self-sufficiency. That's what the Magi had in the East before they came. If that's all that life is about, then why did they come? That's why they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when they saw the star that would lead them to Jesus. Later in his poem, G.K. Chesterton wrote about them specifically, the Magi, and he says this. He says, and the rafters of toil still are gilded with the dawn of the star of the heart and the wise men draw near in the twilight who are weary of learning and art. You know, you can be weary of the happiness of this world if you don't also know otherworldly joy. The otherworldly joy that comes from seeing and worshiping Jesus as they do. Which brings me to my final point and what Jesus offers to these that the world could not offer to them, and that is worship. Worship begins and ends the story and the passage about them. It begins in verse 2 by saying that they have come looking for Jesus to worship him. And then verse 11 tells them finally of them falling down and worshiping Jesus. Finally, they have something in their lives greater than them. Finally, they have something in their lives, someone who is wiser than them and better than them and something that they have that's more attractive than, than they themselves. And the point of everything I'm saying to you tonight, what I want you to hear is that all of us need that, regardless of who you are, regardless of what your life has held or not held, All of us need something other and greater than ourselves to bow before. We were not first and foremost created to be good or to be nice or to be successful or fulfilled. We were created to worship. And you can be a good person. You can even be a circumstantially happy person and not be a worshiping person. And you will miss out on the purpose and the very meaning of your life, of of life itself. Just worshiping Jesus as God and Savior, it will make you good. But being good won't make you worship him. In fact, it might keep you from it, just like it kept that guy with whom I had that last bit of that regular scripted conversation that I always had. He is so good. He was so good and so strong in the eyes of the world that he didn't know that he needed to worship. He didn't know that he was missing out on otherworldly joy. He didn't know what true gratitude was and that he didn't actually have it because he had everything. Everything except the knowledge of where his giftedness came from and something truly good and truly beautiful to offer his life to and to employ his giftedness for. We all need to see tonight what the Magi saw that evening. And what they saw was true strength, divine strength in the form of a child strength that this world wouldn't fully and completely know and comprehend until that child grew to be a man and died on the cross for our sins and for our reconciliation with God. That is what the cross finally fully shows us. And this is how William Willimon describes what the Magi encountered that evening. He says, strength that lies in having so much power within oneself that one is free to be carefree with power, to give power away, to empty oneself. He who knows the value of life is one who is able to give up life for others. The one who is master of all is the one who is able to be the servant of all. The one who is richest is the one who knows how limited our checkbooks are in helping us solve our deepest yearnings. The one who is most liberated is the one who yokes himself to the plight of the oppressed. And friends, ultimately that is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. God as one of us. God 
for us. He became what we are in order that we might become what he is. And so give thanks to him for all that you have this evening. Bow your hearts and your lives before him in worship so that you might know true joy, so that you might know true life even this evening. Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do pray that this evening that we would gain a glimpse of what true joy and true life is. We give you thanks for all of that which you have done in our lives, but especially for our world in and through Jesus, your son, for we pray in his name. Amen.